this edition of the Thoracic Surgery Resident Association's podcast. The opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for teaching purposes only and should not be applied directly to patient care. Hello, TSRA podcast uh, listeners. I'm uh, Avis Ashfaq, a cardiac fellow at the Oregon Health and Science University in Portland, Oregon, joined by Dr. Ashok Mulidharan, who is a congenital cardiac surgeon at Don Becker Children's Hospital in Portland, to talk about double outlet right ventricle, or DORV. Uh, thank you for being here, um, and we'll jump right in. Uh, hello, Avis. Uh, thank you, and uh, thanks to TSRA for, um, for, the, for this podcast series. So let's start with how do these patients with DORV usually present? Um, the topic of DORV should be discussed very differently from the other topics in this podcast series. Uh, that's because DORV is a collective diagnosis encompassing a variety of lesions with unique anatomic and physiologic features. And this results in a very varied clinical presentation requiring a very individualized approach to management. The nomenclature is also different, often creating a confusion in the minds of the, of the learner. So unlike other podcasts, uh, we do not have a classic case presentation for this topic. Uh, that's correct. But instead, what we'll do is we'll explore the different types of DORV and categorize them based on the anatomic and consequent physiologic behavior. We'll discuss the respective surgical options, the expected post-operative course, and the outcomes. Okay, so how would you classify DORV based on the anatomy? The classic DORV categories are based on the relationship between the ventricular septal defect, or VSD, and the great vessels. As one can imagine, the presence of a VSD is a prerequisite to survival with this lesion. And as the name suggests, double outlet right ventricle is diagnosed when both great vessels, namely the aorta and the pulmonary artery, or the PA, arise predominantly from the right ventricle. Another definition is when 100% of one great vessel and more than 50% of the other great vessel arise from the right ventricle. Some anatomists have a much narrower definition and use the term DORV only when, in addition to the great vessels being predominantly committed to the right ventricle and the VSD being present, they use the term only when there is a persistent infundibular muscle or subarterial conus separating the posterior great vessel from the mitral valve. In other words, there should be no continuity between the mitral valve and whichever semilunar valve is, is posterior. So that's a much narrower definition and is not widely used um, in clinical medicine. Now, the VSD can have an independent varying relationship with the great arteries. <clears throat> it can be subiotic, subpulmonic, doubly committed, which means that it's underneath both great vessels, or it can be remote and not be immediately adjacent to either of these great vessels. This VSD relationship constitutes the classic DORV categorization. However, it's important to remember that the great vessels have a varying relationship with each other too. They can be normally related, or malpost, as in being side-by-side, or transpost, where the aorta is situated anterior to the pulmonary artery. In other words, just because the VSD is posterior, one cannot assume it's closer to the aorta, and just because the VSD is anterior, 
closer to the pulmonary artery. So both the VSD location and the great vessel relationship have to be considered independently. In general, it's easy to remember that the left ventricle ejects via the VSD into whichever great artery that's closest to the VSD. So how are these patients usually diagnosed? The uh, diagnostic modality of choice is echocardiography. Cardiac catheterization is rarely required for delineating the anatomy nowadays. <clears throat> In cases of complex intracardiac structural relationships, 3D echo and uh, MRI are very helpful. It's important to glean the following details on imaging. The size and relationship of the aorta and the pulmonary artery, presence of subaortic or subpulmonary narrowing, location and size of the VSD, size of the ventricles, status of the atrioventricular and the semilunar valves, and of course, always look for additional cardiac defects. And what is the typical clinical presentation for these kids? The uh, clinical presentation varies with the anatomy and the resultant physiology. So we can very broadly classify the patients as falling into two groups, the two-ventricle group and the single-ventricle group. The single-ventricle pathway is chosen either if the left ventricle is hypoplastic or if the VSD is just too remote or obscured by atrioventricular valve cordae, precluding it from being baffled to either great vessel. So we will not talk about uh, the single-ventricle subset of DORV in the interest of this podcast which leaves us with the two-ventricle subset where the majority of the patients falls. This group can be further subdivided based on the different physiologies exhibited, based on the uh, unique accompanying anatomy. So for the sake of simplicity, we'll restrict ourselves to three major groups. The quote-unquote simple DORV, which exhibits a VSD physiology, that's group number one. Group number two is DORV with tetralogy of fellow or a TET physiology. And group number three is DORV with transposition physiology. So would it be possible for us to go over each of these subsets and their presentations? Sure, sure. So let's talk about the so-called simple DORV or the VSD type. Here, the great vessels are normally related to each other and there's no subarterial obstruction. The malalignment VSD usually lies in the membranous region and extends into the outlet region. The LV blood hence preferentially flows through the VSD into the aorta. However, with no subarterial obstruction, the relatively low pulmonary vascular resistance creates a huge left to right shunt, with the resultant physiology being the same as we would see with a large VSD. So, in other words, these kids are pink, they have increased pulmonary blood flow and exhibit failure to thrive. Now let's go to group number two. If to this anatomy you add a component of subpulmonary obstruction, then we get a tetralogy of fellow or a TET type of DORV. Here, the typical infant would present with either cyanotic episodes or even resting cyanosis, depending on the degree of subpulmonary obstruction. Now let's move to the third group, which is the transposition end of the spectrum. Here, the aorta is either anterior or side-by-side side to the pulmonary artery. <clears throat> either way, the VSD is situated immediately beneath the pulmonary artery. This particular variant, where the aorta and the pulmonary artery are side-by-side side, and there is subaortic and subpulmonary conus, 
and there is a subpulmonary VSD, this constellation of findings is often referred to as the Tausig-Bing heart. Either way, this kind of uh, anatomy where the VSD is underneath the pulmonary artery creates the classic transposition physiology. Because what happens here is the red blood from the left ventricle goes through the VSD and is preferentially streamed into the pulmonary artery. And hence the pulmonary artery saturations are higher than the saturations, than the oxygen saturations in the aorta. And this is the definition of a transposition physiology. Now here, you can have three subtypes. There is one subtype which is rare, where there is no subarterial obstruction. So you, you have a kid with a transposition physiology, but there is no subbiotic or subpulmonary obstruction. And these cyanotic neonates have a very high risk for developing early pulmonary vascular disease and hence an early repairs indicator. Now in some of these patients with DURV and transposition, they have subbiotic obstruction. Here the, the neonate is cyanotic and because of the subbiotic obstruction, there is also accompanying hyperplasia of the ascending aorta and the aortic arch and sometimes you can even have a frankly interrupted aortic arch. So these neonates would be dependent on the patent ductus arteriosus or PDA for systemic circulation. Now the third subcategory in DORV with transposition is when you have subpulmonic obstruction. Here, depending on the degree of subvalvar obstruction, you can be um, severely or not so severely cyanotic. If there's not enough pulmonary blood flow, then we may have to perform a systemic pulmonary artery shunt to buy more time. If not, we can follow these infants clinically and bring them back um, you know, when they are six months to about a year of age to perform a corrective procedure. What are some of the important technical aspects of the operations involved and their relevant anatomy? Okay, so again, I know this is difficult, so let's go through the spectrum of lesions again. So first group is a simple DORV. So in these patients that exhibit a large VSD type of physiology, the surgery would involve closing the VSD with a patch in such a way that the blood flow from the left ventricle is baffled into the aorta. And this may have to be performed through a right ventriculotomy. For group number two, which is DORV with TET physiology, again, the VSD is closed via an infantibulotomy, baffling it to the aorta. And then we'll have to perform surgical measures to enlarge the right ventricular outflow tract and the pulmonary artery, which can involve either valve sparing or a transandular patch, much like we would do for a tetralogy of flow. <coughs> Things get more complex at the transposition end of the spectrum in DORV. In the rare case where there is no subbiotic obstruction or subpulmonic obstruction, we have to perform an arterial switch and then baffle the VSD to the pulmonary artery, which now becomes the aorta. Now let's discuss a little bit more carefully about the other two subtypes. So here we are dealing with a patient with DORV, transposition physiology because the VSD is subpulmonic, and then there is subpulmonary stenosis. So there is DORV, TGA, and PS. The classic option is the Rastelli procedure where the VSD is baffled to the aorta and the main pulmonary artery is transected and the pulmonary valve is oversown. And then to establish RBDPA continuity, a valved conduit is placed. So again, this is the classic Rastelli procedure. The other option 
in select patients with this anatomy is the Nikaido procedure, which is also called the aortic translocation procedure. In this procedure, the entire aortic root is harvested off the right ventricle along with the cuff of infundibular muscle. The pulmonary valve leaflets are now excised and the pulmonary root is resected. And then the conal septum, which is between, that lies between the aorta and the pulmonary artery is incised into, hence opening up the entire outflow tract. The aorta is now posteriorly translocated and sutured at the pulmonary angulus. The VSD is patched close to the aorta and after performing a Lecomte maneuver, the pulmonary artery is brought anterior to the aorta and anastomosed primarily to the right ventricular incision that was made initially to harvest the aorta. So, I, you know, this is a little bit of a complex procedure, but um, there's, um, you know, standard textbooks and uh, and other resources are available to learn more about the Nikaido procedure. The third procedure is called the REV or REV procedure. It's a French acronym, so I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. So this procedure is also available for this anatomy, but it's uncommonly performed in the, in the United States and so will not be discussed further. So just to recap, for DORV, transposition and subpulmonary obstruction, we perform either a Rastelli procedure, a Nikaido procedure, or the REV, REV, REV procedure. Now, if you have transposition physiology with subpulmonary VSD and a subbiotic obstruction, these patients require a complex neonatal surgery. As we mentioned earlier, the ascending aorta and the arch are frequently hypoplastic, and hence these structures need to be augmented with uh, patch material. And then an arterial switch procedure is performed and the VSD is baffled to the original pulmonary valve, which now serves as the aortic valve. In some cases, because of significant subaortic obstruction, the aortic root is very hypoplastic and cannot transmit a full cardiac output. If that is the case, then we'll have to take these patients through a Norwood-type reconstruction where the aorta and the pulmonary roots are joined together to create a common outflow, which is called the Damis K stanzel or the DKS procedure along with a baffled VSD closure to the aortic and pulmonary valves, and of course, placement of an RBDPA conduit. So this very complex procedure that involves elements of the Norwood and the Restelli procedure is sometimes referred to as the Norelli procedure, or more commonly as the Yasui, Y-A-S-U-I, Yasui procedure. Now, there are situations where the VSD is not clearly, clearly related to either great artery, and these can pose a challenge. If the arteries are side by side, then there's a high likelihood that there is a subarterial conus muscle present under both these great vessels. In these situations, establishing a clear surgical pathway between the VSD and either great vessel is important. Because if the plan is to baffle, let's say the VSD to the aortic valve, then the intervening pathway should be wide enough, which is at least approaching the diameter of the aortic valve, and it should be free of tricuspid subvalvar tissue. So these patients uh, should have very good preoperative um, echo images. Uh, so we have a good operative plan in mind before stepping into the operating room. If suppose the VSD extends into the inlet septum and there is a significant burden of crossing tricuspid valve cordae, or for whatever reason it's technically impossible to septate the heart 
uh, and baffle the wheels due to any of the great arteries, then we may have to choose a single ventricle pathway for this for these patients. So, how are the typical perioperative and long-term outcomes for these procedures? Well, in general, the DORV surgical outcomes have dramatically improved over the last two decades. For the so-called simple type DORV, the 15-year survival exceeds 95% with an under 2% in-hospital mortality. For other types, including the Tausig-Bing population with complex repair, the in-hospital mortality seems a little bit higher, but it's still less than 5%. The University of Indiana group has reported a 93% 20-year survival following the Rastelli procedure for patients with transposition VSD and pulmonary stenosis, which is very similar to our DORV population, which has VSD and subpulmonary stenosis. So in general, the outlook seems much better now than it was a couple of decades ago. I see. So what are some of the major risk factors for any kind of major morbidity or mortality in these patients? Um, early age of repair used to be a risk factor in the initial series, but in the modern era is actually protective. Waiting longer for repair seems to be detrimental from a pulmonary vascular resistance perspective. Other notable risk factors include, but are not limited to, atrioventricular valve abnormalities, hypoplastic ventricular chambers, coexistence of other system anomalies, and of course, if there is a need for very complex intraventricular baffles or tunnels. And what are some of the common indications for reoperation or reintervention in these patients? If an RVDPA convert is used, then it will have to be intervened upon at some time, and it looks like the freedom from reintervention is about 55% over a 10-year period. Depending on the complexity of intraventricular baffle, it may need to be revised. With some studies recording up to a, you know, a high of an 18% incidence of baffle obstruction or baffle leak, which seems to be a little bit on the higher side than what we see uh, clinically. Of course, any time an arterial switch procedure is performed and uh, a Lacombe maneuver is performed as a part of it, there is a risk for future branch pulmonary artery stenosis as is the risk for neoaortic root dilatation and the need for neoaortic re, um, valve reoperation because of insufficiency. Hey, thank you very much for walking us through this highly complex subset of patients <clears throat> and hope that this will prove to be valuable for the listeners. Thank you. I hope so too. Thank you. Uh, it's my pleasure.